the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Uh, We're on our seventh message in the series. If you've missed any of these, you can always go back to our website at church-redeemer.org and catch up with all the uh, former messages. But I'm on the seventh uh, installation of this message. And we're going to talk today about another aspect of David's heart that caused God to say, that's the kind of person that I choose. That's the kind of person that I want. This is a person after my own heart. I want to talk to you today about one important word, and that is the word tenderness. Would you say that word with me? tenderness. David was chosen by God because he had a tender heart. We're going to unpack this a little bit today and try to understand what this means and how you and I can move further in our lives in terms of developing a tender heart before God and also before others as well. I'm going to share with you three things. The first thing is sort of foundational. I need to lay a foundation for understanding what we see in David's life and an important principle that you and I need to grasp. Then the last two points that I will make today will help us to understand how to actually develop this in our own lives together. How do we grow as tender people? But the first thing is to understand that a tender heart, according to God's word, according to scripture, a tender heart is really what a strong heart is all about. If you want a strong heart, you must have a tender heart. And that means we have have to debunk some myths. We have to break down some myths, misconceptions. A lot of people think, you know, if you're tender, you're just soft. If you're tender, then you're not really a strong person at all. If you're weak in a negative sort of way, then obviously you're not going to have great strength in your life. And that idea really needs to be dispelled because it's really not what the scripture teaches at all. Let's take a look at David for a moment. David, although he was a very strong man, I'll come back to that in a bit tremendously strong man. He's one of the most tender-hearted characters in all of the Bible. David was a poet. David was a songwriter. And when you read through his poetic writings, which are found in the book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, 150 of uh, those Psalms recorded in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not all of them are Psalms of David. There's some Psalms from, uh, songs from others as well in there. But the majority of the songs, if you will, in the book of David, the psaltery are songs that David wrote words, lyrics that he penned, and you see the tenderness, the tender part of David coming forth. He understood the tender side of life, and he understood the tender side of relationships. You see this over and over again. David vulnerably expressed his dependency upon God. Although he was a mighty warrior, he knew that his strength came from God. You see this in Psalm 59, verse 17. He says to God, you are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. You see that there are times that David, as he's writing these songs, he expresses his heartache and his distress, stuff he's going through in his life. Like Psalm 31, verse 9, where he writes, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with 
sorrow, my soul and body with grief. There were times that David would even express his fear to God. Yes, David, this mighty warrior. There were times in his life when he too was afraid because he wrote words like this in Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I'm afraid, but when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. David was even willing to share the most vulnerable moments of his life in the midst of his guilt and shame because he'd recognized he'd done something wrong. He was willing to bring the tender, broken part of his life to God. It's expressed in Psalm 32, verses 4 and 5. Listen to his words. The pen of David tenderly communicating his need for mercy and grace from God. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. David expressed tender love to God. And I will tell you today that if you want to be strong, you've got to be weak. If you want to be strong, you have to be tender. And if you never bother to develop a tender heart, you're going to miss the essence of what Strength is all about from God's perspective. Jesus said it this way. Jesus himself, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, Teacher. In the book of Matthew, and what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and that great portion of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, he gives us these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to circle the word meek, because that's a very important word. The Greek word is praus. And that word prowse literally means to be gentle or to be tender. It was used to describe an animal, a wild animal that had been broken and brought into domestication and able to be used. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones who will inherit the earth. And David understood this because David himself penned these words in Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So strength of heart literally comes, according to God's perspective, comes from a tenderness of heart. A hard heart makes you weak. A tender heart makes you strong. Now, how do we develop this tender heart? What's required? What does it look like? What does this mean, tenderheartedness? Well, the second point today, and it helps to unpack this a little bit more in terms of understanding what a tender heart is. A tender heart really is a sensitive heart. That's what I'm talking about. It's actually what Scripture is talking about when we talk about a tender heart. It's a sensitive heart. Sensitivity is a heart quality, is it not? Have you ever tried to share your problem with someone who is not very sensitive? You're just pouring your guts out and just bleeding everywhere, and they've changed the subject. Okay? It's like it goes completely over their head. They don't get it at all. They don't understand anything about what you say. They have no connection with you whatsoever. No compassion. No awareness. And you're, my, they're so insensitive. Anybody ever said that about someone? Don't look at your partner now right now. <laughs> so insensitive. It's not just an action that people do. It's just something that comes from the heart. To be sensitive, you've got to have a heart. We talk about people having a heart. Have you ever shared your concerns or your needs or your pressures or your problems with someone who is sensitive? And they listen and they draw out and they help you to find healing and restoration internally because they are sensitive or responsive. They have a tenderness in the moment of your own tenderness and weakness. They're responsive to your vulnerability that when you're vulnerable, they know how to respond to your vulnerability. These are issues of a sensitive heart. 
And so to be a person after God's heart, you have to have a tender heart. To have a tender heart, you have to have a sensitive heart. Let me give you an example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm not going to read this passage for you. You can go home today and read it for yourself. I told you the story. I read it for you a few weeks ago. I'll recite it again for you today. Remember Saul was the first king of Israel. God said, done with you. David's going to be the second king. And, but there was this overlapping period of time while Saul was still king and David had not yet arisen to the throne. He was on the way to becoming king, but he wasn't king yet. And during this period of time, Saul hates David. Saul wants to kill David. And so David's running around for his life trying to hide from Saul because Saul wants to kill him out of jealousy. And so David's running around in the southern part of Israel called the Judean Wilderness. And he's hiding from Saul and trying to make sure he's protected from this this evil king that is jealous, wanting to destroy him. And one day as David is down in in the Judean wilderness and he realizes that Saul is coming after him, he and some of his men go and hide in a cave, in the very back part of a cave to be protected from Saul so that he would not know that they were there. But as things would happen, Saul just ends up in the same cave where David is. But Saul didn't know that David was hiding in the back of the cave. And David's men said, David, here's your chance. Saul is in here. He doesn't know that you're here. And so you can end this thing now. Get your knife. Go in behind him. Kill him. And it'll all be over with. You can solve the problem right now. All you need to do is commit murder. Everybody say wrong. All you need to do is kill him, okay? And so David says, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe God's talking to me. It's like, I need money. Maybe I should rob a bank. Oh, thank you, God. No, we know that's wrong. But the point being is that David was tempted in this moment, and so he sneaks in and comes in behind where Saul is. Saul still doesn't know he's there. He has the knife in his hand, but somehow he stops before he murders him and cuts off a portion of the royal robe. And the Bible says that as soon as he cut off a portion of the royal robe, his conscience struck him. Read it in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And he realized, why did I do that? Have you ever been there in your life? You ever had the, why did I do that moment? Okay. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Come on. Why did I do that? That was stupid. And just so you, you know today, every one of us here today are about a second away from stupid. Okay. Some of us are half a second away from stupid. Some of us have already proven we're stupid, okay? (laughs) Right? So David said, that was stupid. God forbid that I should touch God's anointed. He was conscience-stricken, and he made it right with Saul. But that's what I want you to see. See, in that moment, even when he did something wrong, he was made aware of the fact that he'd done something wrong. Why? Because he had a good working heart, a good working heart conscience. He had a tender conscience before God. And so he repented of that. In all of our lives, it is extremely important that you and I have the right 
the right kind of conscience. David understood this conscience as well because we see very clearly at another point in time of great failure in his life. And most of you will know this, this moment in David's life. Do you remember a lady by the name of Bathsheba? There was a moment that David goes up on the roof. It's nighttime and he looks out upon, upon uh, his, his, the city of David and he sees this woman that's bathing and he's, he has lust in his heart and it results in, a, in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And now he knows he's got to deal with it because she's pregnant and he doesn't know what to do in the situation. And so her husband is in the army. He's serving at a distance for, for David's, uh, for David's, and David's as, as a soldier of David. And so David arranges now, not only in the committing of the sin with Bathsheba, but arranges for Uriah, her husband, to be killed in battle. He didn't kill her, kill him himself, but he arranged the circumstances so the guy would be killed. Wrong. But even after doing something wrong, there's a, even though there was a moment of hardness because he fell into temptation, he came back to softness in his heart because he ultimately penned these words that you find in Psalm chapter 51. I want you to notice the tenderness of David's heart after he had committed this sin. This is the prayer that he prayed after he realized how terrible he had acted and what he had done. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Go down with me to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Even though he had failed, he came back to God in repentance because he had a soft heart. So my question is, how tender is your conscience? Do you have a working conscience? Does your conscience work very well? Is your conscience properly programmed? Are you responding to your conscience? I created a little graphic for us that you'll see on the screen. This might be the most important graphic I'll give you the whole year. Take a look at this graphic. Now, when God's Word and God's truth and God's Spirit works in, in your life, your conscience can do one of two things with it. It can either reject it. Notice on the left-hand side, what's that word there? Hard. On the right-hand side is soft. I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do with my life. I don't need God in my life. It's not about God sending someone to hell or God rejecting someone. We make choices in our life to harden ourselves against God, which results in judgment. God says, if you don't want anything to do with me on earth, I suppose you don't want anything to do with me for eternity. On the other side, you can choose that when God's word comes to you and you realize what God says is right and wrong, you say, okay, I'm going to respond to that. That's being soft, okay? True guilt is when you violated one of God's rules, one of God's principles, and when you feel guilty, your response, our response needs to be to be convicted about it. Hey, this is something I don't want in my life, to feel sorry for it. It's called contrition. I don't want to continue in this pathway. And then actual repentance where we say, I'm turning away from this and getting back in right relationship with God. 
So when we're walking away from God and we repent, what do we do? We turn toward God and now begin to give and live in relationship with Him. That's what repentance is. And what does that lead to ultimately? What's the last section on that right-hand side? Mercy and grace. Let me ask you, which do you prefer? Do you want judgment that you set down the path? It's just going to be hard. I don't need God in my life. I don't want, to, I want Him telling me what to do. Okay. And you set yourself on the pathway to that judgment. Or do you want to say, you know, I want a soft conscience. If God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care what everybody else says. I don't care what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world says. Because the world is passing away. Do you understand that? Okay. It doesn't matter what the world says is right and wrong. What matters is what God says is right and wrong. That's what matters. Okay. And so I'm going to make a choice based upon what God says is right and wrong because I know where that leads to. It leads to mercy and it leads to grace in my life. Here's my last point, okay? Everybody good so far? A tender heart is a sensitive heart, but it's also a forgiven and a forgiving heart. I'm going to walk through this fairly quickly, so put your seatbelts on. We're going fast here, okay? Nothing softens a person's heart more than forgiveness, Receiving forgiveness, giving forgiveness. David's heart was tenderized by the gracious love that God had shown to him in his failures. Let me prove this to you. When someone responds or treats you with love, how do you tend to respond back? With tender, you open your heart to people who love you, correct? If someone treats you with hate or disrespect, what do you do with your heart? You create hardness, right? You're with me on that? Okay. And so love creates openness and responsiveness and tenderness and hatred creates walls. That's why marriages have problems. So much hatred in a marriage being spread back and forth. People just close off to each other. Put walls up in their life. They become hard in the relationship. Why? Because you hurt me. And I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore because I don't trust you. I don't trust your words. I don't trust what you're having to say. You're, you're diminishing my life. You're disrespecting me. And so we put these walls up and we become hard on the inside in the relationship. Now, on the other hand, if someone is loving toward us, we break the walls down. We become more vulnerable in the midst of vulnerability. So vulnerability creates vulnerability. Hatred or hardness creates hardness. David, in the midst of his most difficult moments, his greatest failures, he learned that he could go to God even when he'd messed up and he would still find love. That God did not stop loving him even when he messed up. And so he trusted God enough to bring his vulnerabilities, to bring his weaknesses to God. Take a look with me at what David writes in Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is, he's learned this about God. We talked about it last weekend. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is what he learned about God. He will, all, he will not always accuse, nor will he har- harbor his anger forever. For he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Anybody say hallelujah right there, okay? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. See, David understood the tenderness of God toward him and the love of God toward him. And because of that, he was able to love God and return with a tender heart. Jesus taught us this. Amen. In Luke chapter 7, there's an amazing story that Jesus gives us. 
Let me unpack this final story with us. Actually, this story in one final verse. One of the Pharisees, Pharisees, religious guy, they thought they had it all together when Jesus was, was in ministry on the earth. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the, to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So the Pharisee said, hey, Jesus is going to have dinner with me. Jesus goes and uh, sits down at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. What kind of life did she live? Simple life. Very important statement. Learned, this lady learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. So she's weeping. Weeping is a sign of tenderness. Let me just say this as a side note here, sidebar. If you can't weep, generally you're hard, okay? Not always the case, but hardness is often symptomized by the fact that there are no tears that will ever come from your life. So she's tenderized, she's soft, she's weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the, Pharisees who had, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know she, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Everybody say hard. There you go. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So 550. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon's the Pharisee. The woman is the sinful person that's coming to Jesus for forgiveness. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Tenderness. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. By the way, that perfume represented something very expensive to this lady. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, what? Loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Let's understand this for a moment. Got to get this, this story. A Pharisee, hard man, judging this lady who comes in. Jesus uses a story. If two people, one had a great debt, one had a little debt, both are forgiven. Who's going to love more? Well, the one with the bigger debt, obviously. And Jesus was trying to make a point to Simon. This lady loves me because she understands how much I've forgiven her. You don't love me because you don't understand how much you need to be forgiven. You don't understand how many things in your life are just as bad as the things are in her life. And until you recognize that you're just as much of a sinner as she is, you're never going to love me like she loves me. Amen. See, it's true in our lives that we so often we want to point our fingers at somebody else. We're sitting in a service thinking, boy, I sure wish so-and-so was here. They need to hear this. Okay. Okay. I sure hope my wife's listening. My husband's listening. They sure need to hear this. 
But as the old song says, it's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.